Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having oh. me on. Ooh. Yeah. What's up, Cortland? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing excellent. Sitting in my apartment looking at a very foggy day in Seattle. Par for the course here, I guess. Yeah. How are you, team? Nice. We've been good. We were just talking about uh, how the how the year's been going so far. I'm currently at a at a ski house right now. Okay. Which is that why it looks so nice? It's, it's not your house. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I would never invest this kind of effort in my own. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm up in Vermont. I've been skiing at Killington. I went skiing yesterday, which is great. I'm actually here for the whole month. Cool. Just what motivated that decision? I've like rented a ski house with friends every year, and it has steadily increased in length. I think it went from like three days to a week to two weeks to a, three weeks to a month. And actually this year, we are kind of like hosting a number of things, one of which is a company retreat. So in like four days, a bunch of tuplers are going to show up, and the whole tuple family is going to be here. Tuplers. I love it. I haven't even thought about that. Like the, what do you call it? The, uh, is it Demonym or what? The, the name yeah, that you give the people who are pretty? Yeah. Demonym. I named Indie Hackers as a Demonym in the very beginning, just so that people would start calling themselves that, which I'm sure annoys the hell out of everybody who doesn't call themselves that. <laughs> but was that an intentional move of yours? Yeah. Yeah. It was very strategic, strategic, strategic minded, but put a lot of thought into, uh, naming. There's this great book called Igor's Guide to Naming. And they have like just chapter after chapter of like little clever naming tricks you can do to try to like build and promote your brand. And I figured if I was going to wring my hands for like a day, I spent a whole day on it, coming up with a name, I might as well try to like be as strategic as possible. And so I went for a, a demonym name. I dig that. I guess that makes it extra sense if you're building a community thing. Yeah, exactly. You want people to sort of represent themselves as part of the community and sort of advertise the community whenever they talk about themselves. If you're building a SaaS application, I don't know. If I mean, I don't, I don't know if tuple users call themselves tuplers. I don't think they do. Although we keep seeing people using it as a verb, which feels real cool. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the holy grail. Totally. Tuple me. Exactly. Yep. So it sounds like some sort of obscure for sure. Toop. <laughs> toop me. You want to you toop on this real quick? Yeah. Sounds like a, an obscure sexual act <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> yeah. a little dicey there. Watch yeah, I don't know if I'm into that. <laughs> Jarek and I were noticing that you have not been very active on Twitter lately. Yeah, you know what? I Honestly, I just don't like Twitter. I'll, I'll just come out and say I don't like tweeting. I don't like being a personal brand that much. It's a lot of effort. It feels like a sort of endless treadmill where you can never really win. You know, you're just always sort of running off of it. And the second you stop, you die. And so I just stopped, which I guess means I'm dead. You know, for me, building a community, like the cool thing is like community goes on without me. You know, I could step away for a week or two or a month and Andy Hackers goes on because like I am not the value for Andy Hackers. It's everybody in the community making posts and talking to each other and leaving comments, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like I have the opportunity to build something much bigger than myself. And every now and then I find myself backsliding. Like I talk to a friend who's just like crushing it on Twitter or their newsletter just hit 200,000 subscribers. And I'm like, oh man, I'm doing it wrong. Like, should I do that? And then I ask them what their goals are for the future. And they're like, well, I hope I can turn my audience into a community so that I can take a breather. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm already there. <laughs> so I probably should, you know, quote, should tweet more. And it would be nice to tweet more. But like, it takes a lot of energy and effort to try to get the community going where I want it to go and have the sort of life that I want it to have. And that's what I'm spending 99% of my time doing. I have this drive to like, do more Twitter. Or like, when it's good, I find it really engaging and fun. And the people I follow are like really interesting. And so I like reading it. And I feel like I'm, I for sure am making new connections there, which is awesome. Like I'm sort of viewing Twitter now as like the first stage in my long-term recruiting pipeline where it's like, let me start building, like having random interactions with Twitter folks so that maybe when they start getting a little bit bored, maybe they DM me or maybe when I DM them in six months, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I've been seeing your stuff for a while. So there's like real potentially massive business benefit to it. It's, it's providing value, but it's also like, it's value with a side of addiction. It's really going to suck me in for, for longer than I want. And, or like anytime I like run into something challenging, like, let me just go open Twitter for a while. Yeah, I have this thing that happens where I'll, like, I'll sit down on my computer, I'll type N, and it'll just automatically fill in news.ycombinator.com. Or I'll type T, and it'll automatically fill in twitter.com. And I'll press enter. And I'll ha have some reason to go there. Like I went to Twitter to DM you about like this podcast like 10 minutes ago. And then like I black out. I spend five minutes scrolling down the feed. <laughs> I forget why I'm there. Then I'm like, what am I doing? And I have to like retrace my steps. I'm like, oh yeah. So they're like, they've got the formula locked down. They hired these psychologists. They know exactly how to do it. There's a good book on this called Hooked, 
about how to build habit forming products. And it goes into the psychology of novelty and how like we are inherently addicted to these processes like slot machines where we can't really control and we don't know what we're going to get, you know, and, and scrolling down a feed where every other post is garbage, but some of the posts are like gems in the rough like that is somehow evolutionarily connected to our like our drive to like, I don't know, hunt through the bushes for berries and stuff. And so we're sort of rewarded, I think, psychologically for doing that. And I think the psychologists have figured this out <laughs> and put it into their apps. And if I can get a little bit of that into Andy Hackers, <laughs> then I have a much more successful website. Hmm. Are you happy with how the community is going? Like who's uh, yes in the community and, no. and how they act and what they do and all that? I'm happy with the trajectory, especially over the last couple of months. And I think that that is like, as a founder, like that's what you like live and die by, the trajectory, right? Like, are the numbers going up? <laughs> because once they are, you can like imagine some promised land where they are at an awesome place and the people that you want in your community are in your app or using it, et cetera. And even if you're at a high level, like I just saw Facebook reported, like they've lost users for the first time. And Facebook's huge. They have billions of users. I bet you nobody there feels good <laughs> that the trajectory is down, right? <laughs> so it's not about the absolute number. It's about where you're headed. I for sure would like indie hackers to have a lot more, uh, I think, experienced founders on it. Right now, I think it's it's a little bit like Twitter. You go to Twitter, like everybody's on Twitter. You can learn anything from anybody on Twitter, uh, whenever they have like you know the desire to tweet it. But on indie hackers right now, it's mostly like your peers, especially for an early stage founder. Um, and I would like to do more to like organically bring people into the community, and that's a tough problem. Because you can do it in inorganic ways. I can like host somebody for an interview or have somebody on for an AMA. But everybody knows like this person isn't really here. They're just sort of doing a drive-by participation. And so I've got some strategies in the pipeline for getting more, I guess, influencers, so to speak, and experienced founders to participate, I think, regularly. And that would be awesome. That's kind of the holy grail. I don't know how it happened, but in my mind, somehow Indie Hackers became associated with like you're you're new to it. You're trying to get into it, you're trying to break in. And it's like a supportive group of people that are going to, they're all kind of have the same, the same goal there. But it's, it's always been, to be honest. I mean, it's, it used to be more story-based. I used to like bring people on and tell their stories, but like the community forum itself has always been more of like, you're new, you know, like you just started, you're struggling, or you just recently succeeded and you want to tell everybody about how you did it. That's how it is. You want to bring more experienced people in. Is it important to have like cover more use cases? Like, can it, can it just be for the new people as like a springboard get you going thing or does that not do it for I don't you? want it to be that way in part because it's stripe it's like okay well the point is like grow get bigger you know and it's like all right that's fine like I'll grow and get bigger like indie hackers doesn't have a business model like I abandoned like it's not making money and even if it was it wouldn't move the needle at stripe so it's like okay what's impactful well there aren't that many successful early stage communities for early stage founders like they don't really exist at a large scale and so getting bigger and being more impactful that way is what matters and I think for that to work like you can't be a school right? Like Harvard's very successful, but guess what? Like everybody either drops out or graduates. Like they don't come back repeatedly. And so Harvard's like undergraduate class size stays the same, right? Whereas like a real community like Twitter or Hacker News or Facebook or something like ideally it's growing, which means people aren't churning or graduating. And so it, if it's only a place you come to when you're early stage and then you like wash out after a certain point, you're like, thanks for the information, I'm out, then we're not really succeeding at growing. And so that's kind of a tough nut to crack. I've been trying to crack it for a long time. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the goal. This is sort of related to what the community dynamics that I see going on, especially in like a lot of indie hacker, like self-identified indie hackers is like the the trend of like putting the little like progress bar for revenue in their on their Twitter bio and like doing a lot of like revenue sharing and even seeing this more and more happening with people who are further along, like just constantly continuously posting MRR updates and, and like spending <laughs> a lot of time on Twitter and stuff. And I wonder like... Yeah. Do you think that's like a healthy pattern for like, is that encouraging good behavior? Is this just creating people like an inferiority complex among some people as they evaluate their peers? Like what, what are your thoughts around like those dynamics? Costs and benefits, man. There's, there's nothing that's truly pure. That's all good. I think at the end of the day, like this revenue thing, if I've learned anything, it was one of the very first strategies I had with any hackers besides the name was like people respond to revenue numbers. When people see money, uh, they immediately think of how that would apply to their life. It's very inspirational to see a dollar amount. And I think if you're trying to inspire people, like you need to give them a goal that they can relate to. You know, if I tell you like, hey, you know, I just ate 120 hot dogs in an hour, learn how you can do it too. Like you're not going to read that book because you don't want to eat 120 hot dogs in an hour. But if I'm like, hey, my business is making like, I'm on Peter Levels' Twitter profile right now. And he's got that bar. And so it's like his bar has got all these little green dots. And then he's got some white dots for like how far he hasn't made it. And he's $2.8 million a year and to his $4 million a year target. 
I don't know why that's his target. <laughs> I don't know when he set that target. Like it wasn't his target starting off, but like he's advertising that. And people who see that are like, dang, this guy's got it together. He's one person making all these fun businesses, tweeting all these cool things. And he's making $2.8 million a year. Like I should start something, you know? And it really does get people to start stuff. Like I've seen it and heard it year after year after year after year that people were inspired by these stories. And so that's the good side. The downside is you pointed out, I was like, yeah, some people probably feel inadequate. People probably feel like they're not making enough or doing enough. But I think that happens anyway. And I think the costs are maybe worth the benefit. And so I like the fact that there's diversity, like not everybody needs to do that. It shouldn't be like the main focus, but I think that it does help. It does get more people trying to do this. And I think the world's a better place if more people realize they can start something online and make a lot of money and attempt to do it. Hmm. You mentioned that the trend was good. So are you, are you tracking like monthly active users or something like that? Yeah, we track like what I care a lot about is basically like participation. Like how many people are signing, how many people are like commenting, right? And when they comment, like we actually measure like thoughtful comments, not just like, oh, congratulations, which is not a very thoughtful comment. It's helpful or whatever. But like people leaving like, you know, almost like a, a textbook of wisdom and reply to somebody else's comments. And that's been steadily going up as has retention recently. And so those are really good numbers. Like those are things to track. And like that is not easy to do with where we are right now because it's just a lot of modeling like what we want the community to be. And I think if you go to like a website like Hacker News or Reddit, it's just so new every day. You know, we were talking about psychology and novelty. Twitter is the same way. Like you go there, you don't know what you're going to get. It's different every day, right? If you go to Harvard, uh, it's the same every year. It's the same classes, right? So eventually you graduate because even though it's helpful, you get bored. And I think with Andy Hackers, for the longest time, it's been kind of the same posts over and over again. You know, like after six months on Andy Hackers, like it's, this is your fifth time sharing what product you're working on. Or, you know, talking about how to do SEO. And at some, at some point, you're like, I get it, you know? And so a lot of it, I think, comes down to inspiring people to have discussions that are, like, seemingly off topic. That are, like, not necessarily, like, how do you grow your business? But that might be, like, okay, what do you think about, like, this new this news that happened? Or what do you think about, you know, what are your New Year's resolutions? Or, like, just, like, things that are tangential to being an indie hacker, but that like, if you're going to talk to anybody else on earth about these things, you might feel happier talking to it about with another person who's sort of like you, another founder, than like some random person on the internet. And I think that's kind of the heart of a community. It's bringing people together who are similar and have a lot to talk about, rather than constraining the focus of conversation on only a particular topic. I have an idea for you, and it might be a terrible one. I was invited, this was a couple of months back, by another founder who had started a circle community for SaaS founders over a certain revenue level. And I think I had like mentioned somewhere that like I'd crossed this milestone and then he was like, hey, I just noticed that. And by the way, I started this thing and there's just, you know, it's like a relatively small group of founders. I don't know all of them directly. I'm familiar with them from kind of Twitter and just our our industry, but like it is definitely a smaller, more constrained group. And it's not quite the same level as like a mastermind group where I feel like I can share every single detail about my business, but it is inherently a little bit more constrained. And so there are more kind of interesting conversations going on. I'm finding in this like more private venue, I would say it's, it's community, but it's a little more constrained. It's like kind of siloed in a, in a smaller group setting where then people can feel like they're even more open. And I wonder if something like that, like as you're looking for people to graduate from, kind of earlier stage where like everything's public because there's not much proprietary to hold in, you know, and not just talk about publicly. And as the stakes get a little bit higher, I, I know in myself, like I share less of the like really key behind the scenes details because some of that is like the secret sauce for what's making the business work right now, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's just natural, right? At some point, like you just don't want to share everything with everybody. And something like Twitter, okay, like you every day you see this huge thread where some founders sharing all their learnings, but it's like that's the numerator. What's the denominator of founders who aren't saying anything? You know, much, 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 much larger. Like, and I don't have those kind of numbers to like hope for that sort of outcome. And so we have thought about like the sort of like a cohort-based approach or uh, like small groups of like revenue level type things. But like in my mind, that's kind of a solved problem in a way. It's very ad hoc. Like there's so many Telegram groups and WhatsApp groups and of founders who talk to each other and it's just millions of those, to be honest. And they work, but there isn't like a place to go where like there's the sum total of everybody's knowledge, except for perhaps Twitter. Twitter's probably the best community of startup founders, in my opinion. 
but it's missing some things because it's kind of everybody. It's not just startup founders. And so a few things get sort of lost in the muck. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a good idea. It's just difficult to harness. And it's like not perfectly in line with our goal, which is like, okay, how do we become like an open community for everybody? And if people want to have these like little small communities, I think that's awesome. It's not what we're trying to do. And to be honest, I'm not sure if we could facilitate that as as well as like a good iMessage group or something. I mean, there is also like the Reddit strategy where Reddit is like one community supposedly, but actually it's like a combination of like thousands of subreddits that like sum together to make one homepage. And like that is kind of a clever way to like use the smaller group strategy to accomplish the bigger group strategy, which I think is really interesting. And so we thought about that too with any hackers groups, but it's still a lot of work because then you got to get people to like get these small, tiny communities up and running. And that's hard. It's almost like running a little startup, right? Most subreddits fail and they're hard to get traction on, just like the main website's hard to get traction on. And so it's a fun problem. It's like all incentive design and, and like trying to think about like psychology of how people work. You know, it's not like a very clear, well-defined SaaS problem where, where your software either does the thing or it doesn't. It's really, I think, a study in like human psychology. Like what gets somebody to open a website every day? Like what gives them that little hit of joy? And it's difficult because people don't necessarily report accurately. Like people don't really know. Like it's hard for people to tell you why they go to Twitter every day. Like the Twitter team probably knows a lot more about why people go to Twitter every day than the average Twitter user. And I'm not sure that's the case with most software. I think it's usually the other way around where the companies are trying to figure out from their users why they use it. And the users know, uh, but the, the people making it might not. Was the community thing always the goal of indie hackers? Like I, I think the first time I came across you was I think the podcast I think, and it seemed like, oh, Cortland just has this cool podcast. Like, I'm digging that. Like, was, was it always the goal to just like, I want to get thousands of people and teach them how to like help them, have them help each other and build businesses? Yeah, that was the goal. In fact, the goal was not to have a podcast. It was like on my list of things not to do early on. I was like, I don't want a podcast for the same reason I don't like Twitter. I don't want to be on the treadmill running and endlessly producing content and that being the thing. And I was okay with doing that with like the email list and the interviews that I used to publish to the website. So Wendy Hacker started off as like a blog. That was just nothing but interviews. It didn't look like a blog, but it's essentially what it was. And I was like, okay, I'll do this temporarily, but it's only to like bootstrap an email list that I can use to bootstrap traction for a community. And the community will run itself and I can sit back and like collect my paycheck. <laughs> you know, or, uh, it, that was kind of the goal. And so the very first day of Indie Hackers, there was a link at the top that said community forum. And you went there and it was just like, okay, sign up if you're interested in this because I wanted to gauge interest. And so like, it was kind of cool to watch that plan unfold and like work out. Uh, and there's some unexpected stops along the way. Like, it did start a podcast, obviously, and that's, like, arguably one of the most popular parts of Indie Hackers. Yeah, I think the whole point is to have a community. And I think beyond that, like, if you can build a big enough community at the very, very top of the funnel of entrepreneurship, where people are just now starting to figure out they want to do this, there's so much you can do later on in the funnel in terms of redirecting people where you want them to go, whether it's fundraising a particular type of way or using a certain set of products. Like, that's a very powerful position to be in. And so I got to crack the community nut first. <laughs> And that's a hard one to crack. But if I do, there's a lot of options. So you feel like it's uncracked still? Oh, for sure. It's like constantly plateauing. And then it's like, an, okay, well, you hit product market fit for like one level of community, but like not for the next level. And it's difficult to get it to the next level. But like right now, it's like maybe 11, 12,000 visitors a day come to Indie Hackers. And three or 4,000 of them are signed in community members. Like I think it can be 10 times that. It's not going to be easy to get there. But once it is 10 times that, like, I'll feel much more like, okay, I've sort, of, I've sort of cracked this nut. Like, it's a significant percentage of new founders actually come here rather than, like, you know, 4 or 5%. Does whoever you report to at Stripe, like, sort of encourage you to set growth targets on those numbers? A little bit. Yeah, definitely. I set growth numbers when I joined. Uh, they were astronomical. And we actually have hit a few since then. I was like, that's crazy. But also, like, it's been five years, four years. And so... I would have hoped to have hit more, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty hands off. Like no one at Stripe is like breathing down my neck, asking me where our numbers are, etc. Uh, I can easily go months or upwards of like you know close to a year without necessarily reporting into anybody if I don't choose to do that, which is really nice. So I get to choose where I want to spend my time. I mean, recently we've like kind of reconfigured our numbers. Like we're trying to figure out okay, what do we need to do to get to the next level? Like what's important here? And like you'll probably see the Indie Hackers homepage change a lot in the next few months to sort of accommodate like the one goal that we have right now, which is getting more people to leave thoughtful comments and to getting like sort of higher profile people in there as well. And so right now it's like the homepage is like, we've got a job board and we've got meetups and we've got the list of podcast episodes and a link to our store. And like none of that has anything to do <laughs> with the goal that I'm talking about. So mm. we're going to try to focus. It's very easy to get distracted with the community. How long had you had Indie Hackers before you sold to Stripe? Nine months. Okay. Not very long. 
So yeah. it's been something like a little, like a little more than five years. Then you've been working on this. Yeah, I started in August 2016, and I sold it in like I think April 2017. So it's almost coming up on five years since I've been at Stripe. Six years since I started Indie Hackers. So in in, in tech tenure terms, you're an, I'm old, an old man. man. I'm an ancient, are, yeah, elderly I'm, person. I'm sure your to... headphone volume is super high because you can barely hear me. <laughs> what was that? Huh? <laughs> but so I mean, are you getting are you getting bored of this particular problem? Not at all, man. Like. I've had periods. I was just talking to Rob Walling about this last week about how like I have like strangely just like deliberately decided like maybe it's time to think about other things. And then I wasn't very happy. <laughs> I'm like, what's missing from my life? You know, and I'm like, oh, it's because I like I have always worked on like some ambitious project with some like huge goal at the end. And it's not even like hitting the goal that matters, right? It's the fact that like you have this like optimism for getting somewhere and you have these like tricky problems that like occupy your mind and like fill up your days that is just really rewarding to work on. And it's hard to imagine, like, I mean, I have a couple startup ideas, but it's hard to imagine any that are, like, more engrossing than, like, I'm trying to become the biggest community for startup founders. And I get to talk to people all day, people like you guys and people like people on Indie Hackers Forum, who are really interesting, who are all doing super interesting stuff, who are all, like, themselves, like, on their own, like, sort of epic journey or quest. And I get to sort of design this website where, like, I don't know, like, I'm not, like, some big company where there's, like, this huge development deploy process like i just get on have an idea i click deploy it's up in like five minutes i break the website all the time no one even notices and tens of thousands of people a day come through and use the changes and remark on them and comment on them like it's a really addictive feedback loop and so i think like the long-term goals and plans are very ambitious and seem like very meaningful to me and even the short-term sort of day-to-day is very addictive <laughs> in the same way that twitter's addictive so i don't know if it would be wise for me to just quit and do something else for the sake of novelty and I think I have a lot of unfinished work to do. I didn't think about this when I started Indie Hackers. Like, it, was, it wasn't my plan. I didn't think it was going to be infinitely great and infinitely entertaining and stuff. But I'm glad that I lucked into working on something where I feel that way. And I'm sure, like, by the time I hit the next plateau, it's still it's going to be a new set of challenges that are, like, very different, you know. I'm grateful for that. I heard you on some podcast recently. I can't remember who you were talking to. But you said something, like, very uh, frank, which was along the lines of, like, I've got this Stripe stock. And so I know I'm basically set financially at some point. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm like, I'm chilling. I'm like going to figure out it's what I want. It's not about I'm, money I, I anymore. <laughs> like I don't have to worry about money anymore. So like, all right, well, what, what's the point, right? And I think for a lot of indie hackers and founders, like it's not popular to say. It's more popular to be like, oh, I'm only in it for the mission to help the world. But it's like, no, we're all real people. Like money matters. You can do good things with money. You can make your life better. You can make your family's life better. You can have more time and freedom to do other things that are meaningful. And so I think we spend so much of this time on this like, this journey and this challenge like to make enough money to be financially free, to have more free time, to work on the things that we want, right? And then like once you sort of get there, you realize like that journey is over. <laughs> it's time for a new journey. And a lot of people, like especially in Silicon Valley, they're just like, all right, let me just set the bar higher. I made $10 million, let me make 100. I made 100, let me make a billion. And to me, like that's not like, something inherently wrong with that if you've really considered it. But I think if you're just automatically doing it, then I think there's probably like, you know, room for improvement in your thought process. You could be a little bit more deliberate about what you want to get out of life. And so I'm sort of in a phase where I'm thinking about that. And it's made me think a lot more about like the mission of Indie Hackers and like how I spend my time. I mean, I'm sure you guys are not in that like too far from that. Tuple's doing pretty well. And like Savvy Hal is like, I don't know, I see a lot of Savvy Cal links. And so <laughs> at the end of the day, like whether you're there or not, or not like you're going to have to start thinking about that pretty soon. And it's not necessarily the wrong answer to be like, okay, I did the thing. I'm going to go work on something else. Like I talk to founders all the time on the podcast who will have this riveting story of how they started their startup and all the challenges they overcame and where they are now to show the revenue numbers. Then after I stop clicking record, they're like, I can't wait to be done with this. <laughs> you know, I have 10 other ideas I want to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think it's, it's part of life that you move on to new projects and things, especially in the tech industry. Like the average job tenure is like two and a half, three years. So as a founder, you're working like probably three times that before your business is like, quote unquote, successful. And you want to think about moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People ask me pretty frequently, like, oh, like, do you think you're going to sell someday? Or like, how long do you think I'll do this? And this, the, the way I feel about it is it's kind of like, as long as it is interesting, as long as it's stimulating and like not fun necessarily, but you know, like I'm growing and it's challenging and it's a challenge that I relish. For me, the idea of just like, oh, sell the thing. And then now you have a pile of money, not appealing at all. But the, it, it would be more like, there's this really cool thing over here that I can't stop thinking about. That would be like the more likely thing that I'm like, oh, I have to step away from this because I have to go do this other thing. Is Tuple still this really cool thing that you can't stop thinking about? Currently, yes. Yeah. So we're, what, makes we're, it, what makes it that? Well, um, 
my job keeps changing, which is the thing I love. It's like we're nine people now. It's like the, the and like we're taking on more and more things and like doing all this hiring. And so it's, I think it's partly the, the dynamic nature of it. Like it's like, it's like I, I'll figure out a project and then wrap it up and be like, okay, now to, to dive into this thing over here that I have no experience with and I'm going to try to figure it out from scratch. A lot of people don't like that. Like I talked to a lot of people who are like, I just like to code, you know, or I just like this thing and my job is changing and I've gotten away from why I wanted to do this in the first place. So it's, it's pretty unique that you like, you like the fact that it's, it's changing. It's mostly good. Sometimes I do miss just like the simplicity of the coding where it's like, yeah. I will do a thing today that I know how to do. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of nice. And like the, it has a nice, nice bound boundary around it. But, but overall it suits me nicely that way. Yeah. What about you, Derek? How's, how's Savvy Cal? Yeah, I, I would say I'm I'm having a blast. So I just hired my first engineer, first full-time engineer. So it's like a big, just cross that like huge milestone where it feels like I've just unlocked a major cheat code, you know? And I mean, now this this brings me back to thinking of when we first grew the team at Drip, you know, five years ago or so, six, no, now probably like seven years ago, actually, when we've hired our first engineers and like had to flip out of that mode of like, I'm just kind of the sole maker into, I am helping shepherd along some other people who are trying to level up their skills and build their career and do their best work and execute on their their passions and i get a ton of joy out of that like i don't know how it would be if i were trying to like manage a, a really large engineering team like i'm sure it would the nature of the job would change but for now like the thought of like building a small team managing a small team and you know just being able to like watch people do their best work and help help facilitate that gives me a lot of fulfillment and also i know it's like super good for the business it's just going to be such a such a multiplier so these are still like i'm in that really really fun phase and i'm i'm a little bit scared that at some point something will change and like suddenly i'm finding myself like oh i just don't enjoy the job as much anymore but i don't see that on the near term horizon which is i'm i'm glad about i feel thankful about i was just thinking the other day how crazy it is that we're the types of conversations that, you know, I'm having with with other founders and stuff where where we're actually grappling with this concept of like, what happens when you have so much money, you never have to work again. And just like I was just thinking about how crazy this is probably like if, you know, my relatives overheard these types of conversations or just people from past generations were like, you couldn't just build a business that might in the span of a couple of years make you more money than you could ever spend in a lifetime. And yet these are problems that a lot of us are, tr are like having to potentially grapple with. And it comes with its own set of set of problems around like, well, if I don't have to work for money anymore, then what do I do with my time? And how do I not get depressed? And so it's, it's fascinating to me that these are these are these are the conversations that are happening more and more in large part because of what tech enables. Yeah, I talk a lot about like freedom being like like one of the main goals that a lot of indie hackers have and starting their businesses. And there's like all these different types of freedom. Like the, the most common ones are like financial freedom. Like I don't want to have to work for somebody else to earn my money. I want to be able to make money however I want. And then like time freedom, which is just like I want to work on my own schedule whenever I want, as many days a year, as few days a year as I want. And very few people like to your point, Ben, like want to just retire and sit on a beach and do nothing. Like people just want to like, they still want to work. They just want to control like when, <laughs> when they work and how much they have to, which is awesome. But I think there's like these other types of freedom that are a little bit underrated, like creative freedom, like working on whatever you want is really nice to have as a founder. And then Derek, you're hinting at like, I think like people, like the ability to like, like if you have a job, you don't really choose your teammates that much. But when you run a company, you can hire anyone you want. You can be super nepotistic. Like I hired my brother immediately when I joined Stripe. I'm like, I'm not joining Stripe unless you guys hire my brother. And like Patrick's like, well, I guess I did the same with my brother. So it's like, all right, fine. And like, that's super cool. Like we sit on Zoom and talk and my mom's like, oh, can I join and listen in? And she joins and listens in. And it's just like, this is great. I could do this indefinitely. And like, there's this concept of like work-life balance versus I think work-life integration is the other sort of proposed thing. And I like work-life integration. I'm like, what if work doesn't even feel like work? You know, what if I'm like shooting the shit with like my brother and my friends while also working together on this cool challenge, you know? And you watch movies like... um like, I don't know, any movie where you've got, like, all these experts, like, working, like, Ocean's Eleven or something. And it's, like, these people are working together, but they're, like, friends and they're kind of, like, a squad. And nobody talks about doing that with their business. But, like, you can absolutely do that. You can just, like, put together a team of people you really like, have tough challenges that you go through together, and it's way more rewarding. Like, to me, like, that's addictive. And so that's something I've been thinking about with ND Hackers, too. Like, okay, who do I want to work with a lot and, like, actually just be friends with? And I think that I don't need, like, I don't want to manage 100 people. I don't want to manage 50 people. But, like... You know, 
10 people where we're all like super close friends and like we all kind of buy into the mission and like we're like super smart and like talented and we enjoy working with each other like that to me is the dream and i could do that indefinitely on almost any project yeah that's been the new joy of running tuple these days is like the is building the team out and adding awesome people to it and having that sense of like oh another amazing person just joined this it's not a family but you know it's a it's a collection like we're a collection of people and we're, we're around a shared goal and it feels great. And like, I've, I've always been someone who's really picky about people. So it's like, it's, I, I've been very be. selective about who I add to my friend group and who sticks around and all that. And this is like a mini world where it's like, we, I control the gate. Um, <laughs> and it's, so it's like, we can, we can just shape this group of exactly how, how we want. And it's, it's pretty awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My dad did this uh, when I was a kid. He was part of like this, I guess, elite squad of furniture makers. And it was just like eight guys and then this big warehouse. And I, my brother and I would go in to visit him as kids. And he was like the furniture finisher. So they'd have all the furniture together and it would just look like this ugly piece of wood. And he would just come in and like lacquer it and whatever, whatever he did and just made it look beautiful, all the different like colors and stuff. And he would also like, you know, make some furniture for himself. He'd make my mom these like beautiful jewelry boxes. But then everybody else in his squad had like their own goal or their own like um, skill. You know, someone would like be kind of the architect and like sketch out like, like here's what the furniture is going to look like. And somebody would like, you know, I don't know. I have no idea what the jobs are, but someone like would cut it and they'd be so precise and they were all super good and they all trusted each other and they would just be hired to like build this like really cool furniture. Like Elton John had them like do his like living room in Atlanta and they had like all this stuff and all these pictures that he's so proud of showing me. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't talk to very many people who've built that for themselves internally at their company, you know, who have like this like very specialized team of people they really like to hang out with. And I think that takes time, you know, building that and like finding out how to get that is hard. And I think one of the hard things is that like, you don't necessarily have the luxury to do that up front. Like up front, you're just like, we need to survive. <laughs> you know, our company isn't necessarily profitable yet. Like I got to hire like the absolute best person for the job that I can find. And maybe that person is one of your friends and maybe you can't convince them to leave their job for you or something at that point in time. And so I think that might be one of the reasons why it's tough. Like maybe you have to start that way to really get there. You know, like maybe I wouldn't be able to convince my brother to join me now, but because I convinced him in the beginning, like he's here. I'm going to try. Like that's, that's one of my goals of many. Yeah. I think even if you are, have the means to hire those people and, and are persuasive, it's still hard because it's hard to really know if someone is going to fit and work correctly. Like, like we've, we've had some people that we thought would that didn't. I've messed this up several times already. Like we've had sort of had to continually edit the team and like also or move people around. Like, like, oh, we thought this was going to work well, but actually you should maybe be over here and work with this person on this thing. I think it's a really hard challenge. Uh, even when you're know you can do like, know you want that and like possibly can, can afford it. Yeah. I guess it's like, it's, it's easier with friend groups because you just have fewer expectations of friends. Like I have like maybe one or two friends that I've like really lost touch with are like, you know, sort of removed from my life ever. And I'm 34. But with like employees, I get, the expectations are just so much higher for someone to do a good job, to be consistent, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, yeah, I guess you do end up editing a lot more and sort of being like, you know what? Never mind. You can't just yeah. like stop kind of kind of stop talking to this employee, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yep. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Or sit a friend down and say, you know, I've, I've reached a new level of scale and I, I think we've kind of, <laughs> we've kind of outgrown you. Yeah. You, don't, you don't quite fit anymore. Good luck in your next venture. Your right? next friendship. <laughs> With your next friendship. <laughs> Do you guys ever feel like because you're sort of locked into your companies that you're missing out on other things? Like, are you like, look at all this Web3 stuff. Like, I'm, I'm missing out, you know, or like, oh, if only I had this other idea, like the time is right. But I'm like, you know, I got to finish what I've started. Do you ever have any regrets? Mm. I'm in the honeymoon phase of Savvy Cal where like, I know how difficult my experience over the last three years has been a primer, just a reminder on just how hard it is to get something off the ground where you like the, the spark is lit. There's you've started the, the small little fire that's going to grow into a, a much larger campfire just to get that is so difficult because there's so many variables you're trying to solve for. Like, is this the right solution for the right market? And how do I reach that market? And on and on and on. And now it feels like I've, I've, figured out enough of those variables we're like okay we've fixed you know eight of the 20 variables so now we can just work on optimizing the other variables so right now i'm like okay it's just starting to work i feel so relieved about that so i, I feel an immense sense of calm about that and like man i really don't want to go back to the beginning anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's like an intense amount of focus that you need yeah just to have things succeed 
And it's like, it's very easy to underestimate. Like there are times where I'm just like, if there's something interesting, like even like a side project, I will feel sometimes guilty. Like, oh, I have this energy to spare. Like, shouldn't I be like putting this on my main thing? Like, I don't know if that's healthy. You know, like it is good to have diversity. It's like probably helps prevent burnout and whatnot. But it almost feels like I'm cheating on my girlfriend. You know, it's like, I don't know if I should really be doing this. You know, like, and I wonder if like, 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 how do you feel like Ben? Like with yeah. Tuple, I mean, like you've got a team. Yeah, no, I feel that way with, with side project things for sure. Like I, I, I worry about the message it would send for me to like pour a decent amount of time into, into anything else really. Um, but I don't know. At the same time, like side projects are kind of what made Tuple a bigger success, I think. Like it was the small things I had launched before where I learned, like cut my teeth on how to do this. Uh, so I, I, I kind of think of side projects as education is like a pretty darn good habit to keep going. So it's, it's, yeah, I have conflicts there. Yeah. Yeah. Back when I considered myself more of a software engineer, like my biggest issue was like, every time I start a startup, like four years later, I'm just like, I have no idea what the state of the art is with code. <laughs> I'm still using what I started four years ago and like things have changed like dramatically. Now I don't even care. I've just given up. I'm just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I'm ancient and that's fine. But uh, I have to say like, I, I feel very like, I kind of did a deep dive into this like Web3 stuff after being a hater for so long. And it's super interesting. It's very, it's very mentally like compelling and engaging. And there's a part of me that immediately started thinking like, okay, <laughs> are there inroads here to indie hackers? And then I was like, I did my sort of normal exercise, which is like, if I'm excited about something, I will table it for a month or two and see if I'm still excited. Because otherwise, I'll just like be like a crazy kid in a candy store, just bouncing around from aisle to aisle. And it's been a couple months, and I'm less excited about it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe this is not the right approach. I have other things to do first, but I'm still kind of excited about it. And I see all these smart people working on all these cool projects that are like, I don't know, they claim to be at the forefront of the next generation of the web. And there's a part of me that feels like maybe they are, you know, and it's, I feel the same way, you know, like I feel like I'm ambitious, but um, it's very difficult to not, to not want to jump into that kind of stuff and to not want to incorporate it. And it's, uh, it's underrated, you know, even if your startup's four or five or six years in, like you still have to focus, like it almost never goes away. Unless, I mean, I guess once you're like 15 years in like Zuck, you can start doing VR stuff, <laughs> crazy VR stuff. But like, I guess for us, it's like, it's not necessarily in the cards anytime soon, huh? Yeah. I see it as a gift to have something to be able to, to really focus in on hard that, that I know has like, the feedback loop is that things are working. And so that to me is like, that is really important that for my brain to be happy is like, I, I'm pushing this boulder forward and and it's making progress. And I think it's it's definitely a different, for me, it's a different mental headspace to be in. Like, I'm just kind of playing in the sandbox. You know, maybe if I were to dive into Web3, it would be just like wrapping my mind around these different tools and experimenting and creating and putting stuff out. But there's no actual like boulder being pushed. But I could definitely see like in a different phase. Like, I think I would have to be in a different phase where I could really embrace, you know, that kind of like playing in the innovation sandbox. It looks like a lot of fun. But also, like, I don't know. I, I'm getting a high currently off of the boulder pushing. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the honeymoon phase is great. Yeah. Don't let it end. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. What about, I mean, what other, like, intellectual pursuits do you guys have outside of your businesses, if any? You know, is it just, uh, like, for me, it's like, I would love to read more. My brother reads all the time. I feel, like, so guilty by comparison because this guy's reading, like, two books a week. <laughs> and I'm like, I would love to do that. I, I don't. But I've been focusing on, like, having, I guess, more of a strategic approach to my personal life lately and my dating life. And that's been really fun. Uh, what do you guys do besides, besides run your businesses? For me, the biggest thing is singing. That's debatably intellectual. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were supposed to harmonize on something on uh, our next podcast. I remember talking to you about oh, that yeah. after the last time we came on Andy Hackers. Oh, boy. Now I have like COVID throat. I would probably sound awful. But you know what I did? That's, uh, it's been like one of the best purchases of my life is I bought a karaoke machine which is literally just like a, a speaker with some cool LED lights and a few wireless mics. And I plugged it into my TV. And now when friends come over, I put like YouTube karaoke on my TV. You could just like play whatever karaoke video you want on YouTube. And I force them to sing with me. And it's amazing. No matter how good or bad someone is at singing, it's always, you know, with like maybe a beer or two, it's always super fun uh, by the end of the night. And people never expect it to be that fun. And so I'm working on a few songs, but my throat right now is just like, Ugh. that's great. I love that. I went to a karaoke place in Hong Kong, I believe it was. And it's like the private room style. It's like you get your own setup, just like buy yourself. And like it sees like maybe 10 people. That was that was a super fun version. So like helps people get over the stage, right? 
Right, exactly, because it's just your friends. Yeah, and like sometimes, like you start off in a song, and you're like, hey, actually, no, this is way too hard. <laughs> Never mind. I thought this was gonna be cool. I'm out. I have a list of uh, karaoke songs on my phone. Yeah, and me like, too. It's, it's really like three lists, and one list is like things I should try, and then one list is like my go-to songs. Like these are songs that I know are good, and the other list is called bad songs that seem like they'd be good but are in fact bad <laughs> and these are the songs that i've tried and i was so confident at the beginning and i just like could not finish like they're just too far out of my range or something so that's that's a great list to have yeah it's, it's good to crash and burn and learn from it and then write it down yeah exactly <laughs> you write it down so you don't forget because you'll just go back to those songs i think billy joel is that for me where like i love his music and there's so many songs i want to sing but like he is just he's a tenor and i just am not and so it's like, this is just, I just can't, unfortunately. I have like, there's like too many artists for that stuff for me. I'm like, I love Adele. Can't sing any of her stuff. I'm like, I like Sam Smith. Can't sing any of his stuff. Like, I like the Strokes. Can't sing <laughs> very much of it. Nice. Yeah, I'd say for me, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely the founder that can get extremely hyper obsessed with like my business, which is probably not surprising. A lot of us are that way, I think. So like. The struggle is to leave room for other intellectual pursuits outside of like just pouring all my energy into my business. Like I, I play the piano and I haven't really played much lately, but I would love to do more of that. You know, like I have, a, I have a keyboard that I bought a couple of years ago. It's not, doesn't get touched very often. So I'd love to do more of that. And, you know, reading is, enough, is always something that I also want to do more of, but just never make the time for. And it's, I've gotten frustrated with myself in years past, like setting goals, you know, beginning of the year, like, all right, I'm going to try to, you know, try to build this, this habit in. And I've sort of come to embrace that, like, you know, there are certain seasons where I'm just probably not going to be as diligent in these other areas, but something I keep, I always want to keep checking in with myself on, like, are you getting too out of balance? Because I think that's one of those things that can lead people to, to burn out and it can sneak up on you before you even yeah. realize it. Right. Um, yeah. So I struggle with this because I'm like, yeah, I should be, I should live a balanced life, right? Like balance is so important. And then like I start doing it. I'm like, oh, balance is so boring. It's like the most boring thing ever. And you read like any biography of like anyone who was just like, I don't know, had like a book written about them. Like they have the most wildly imbalanced lives. They just go hard on something, you know, they're neglecting some other thing. It's not super sustainable, but we're all going to die anyway. So you don't have to sustain it. And, uh, it's just interesting, you know? And so some days, some weeks I'm just like, I'm going to go to the gym. I want to work out, you know, I'm going to maintain my relationships with friends and work a healthy amount and then step away from my computer and I do it. And like, it does feel good. It's really nice. But there's like this internal drive to like be out of balance, you know, sometimes you're just like craving certain stuff. So maybe there's like, I don't know, a formula for like maintaining like, like the right amount of imbalance, you know, like, like to allow yourself to just like go hard, but like not to the point to burn out, but like just like just shy and then bring balance back in. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm just musing. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I find it really fun to obsess about Duple. People are like, oh, how many hours? So you're working crazy hours? You're like you're a startup person. You must work crazy hours. I'm like, not really. I don't, I don't like do like butt in seat crazy hours. But if you ask me like what percentage of time I'm thinking about a business thing, it's a lot. So it's like total hours of brain sweat is is really high, but it's yeah. but none of that feels unfun to me. Like I I like to get obsessed with the thing and then just think about it a lot. So it's yeah, I don't. That's think the it, dream, like something you want to think about, something you want to talk about. Yeah, I don't think I'm in any danger of burning out, like in from in, in that of that sort of work, that sort of effort. Right. Yeah, I think if, if you're talking about work every day and thinking about work every day and it's just like oh, man i hate my boss or man i hate like this job and that's and that's very unhealthy you know if you're like oh i'm so stressed i haven't slept in two days like that's like a, it's not sustainable but if it's like yeah i have an interesting challenge to overcome and i can't stop thinking about it i'm thinking about it in the shower i'm talking to friends about it uh like why not totally so by the way derek uh, one one quick thing so just today i was opening up our old slack instance so we moved to discord for like chat stuff but we have we have a slack that's been around for a while and i went to our old huzzah channel so we have a channel that's like posting wins and it's this record going back to like 2018 or so of like really early tuple wins and it's just like and it's just the three of us you know just like posting like i just like look at this new subscription 200 dollars a month oh my god like it was it was the time where we were i was posting a screenshot of like every stripe charge into the huzzah channel like 100 dollars, 200 dollars, and like we're all freaking out um and like all the numbers like like we hit 50 calls today like all the numbers like hilariously small 
it was so like fun to just sit down like 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 scroll through that with like Joel and Spencer. So you're like about to like have another person on the team. Totally recommend having some sort of place that you can throw like happy like celebrations that you're going to be able to keep and like someday look back on. Yes, that's great. We have a hooray channel that's uh but it it's like hasn't been used much. There were a few old like a year ago I posted like 4K MRR or something was like and we were like Corey and I were celebrating and then we just haven't like kept that up but i'm definitely going to like reboot that channel and it's just so fun to have another person who's like spending their full-time effort like i'm it's going to be a lot less lonely not that i was like feeling super lonely before but it just it's going to feel so good to have a teammate that's in there totally i think it's going to be a big a big change for you and a a really positive one and the huzzah channel I, i think it's just a great practice because there's so many inboxes and channels that like can have really bad news in them (laughs) <laughs> where it's like, like you might just open your email and go oh yeah, god <laughs> yeah it's so, it's so it's nice to have one where every time you see the notification pop up you're like ooh, a treat like, yeah <laughs> yeah i love that yeah that's kind of funny if things aren't intentional it's just like more likely there will be bad news you know <laughs> yeah. you sort of intentionally sure. design okay this is the good news channel mm-hmm. exactly and it's and then like other people started using it which is cool like other people are posting it as ah like, this is fun and and like it, it almost becomes a way to keep tabs on different parts of the business. Like, oh, engineering has like posted a, like some small bug was fixed or like this like this thorny problem they've been working on is like a now resolved or great great message from like customer like came in the customer support channel or we just closed a deal over here or like this it's it becomes almost like a heartbeat of the the happy things happening in Tuple. Yeah, and it's great it's great to be able to celebrate what other people are excited about when at the moment that they're excited about it. You know. Which is something that's, you know, if you're not deliberate about that, it's especially with a remote team, it may not end up happening. And so someone's just having a little party of one in their own office, but not like getting to share the joy, you know? Totally. It's the, the Huzzah channel is the gong ring of the, yeah. the distributed startup. <laughs> yeah, I love it. What are you doing at your uh, company retreat, Ben, to make it like fun or cool or interesting? Yeah, that's a good question. So we surveyed everybody and asked like, are, like what things have you done at other retreats that like worked well? Like, what would you like to see us do? And the unanimous response back was like, we don't want to do any, you know, structured corporate thing. We just <laughs> want to hang out with each other <laughs> and like enjoy the social time. And so we, we've scheduled nothing right now. Like in fact, like no awkward icebreakers. Yeah. Like we, there's like a day kind of blocked off for like, okay, if we're going to, if people want to ski uh, or do like outdoor wintry activities, this is the day for that. And then there's like a couple days where it's just like, these are now like, you know, explicitly not for that. But they're also not explicitly for anything. It's like we're gonna be in the house hanging out. Yeah. We're gonna like each each of the founders like took an evening like to cook a meal. So like each of us is responsible to like make dinner for the team one night, which I think is kind of fun. And then we have a ton of board games and card games and stuff like that. And it's gonna, karaoke machine. Yeah. yeah totally. Karaoke machine, I'm telling you. It's a it's a good idea. I like it. Um I can see if I can get that shipped to northern vermont in a hurry <laughs> this is how you can tell you're somewhere far away when the amazon prime delivery times are like five days <laughs> right right like what is the, this is an outrage exactly how do people live like this but yeah, yeah. so so <laughs> i have some backup ideas like if after the first day it's like actually we're kind of bored we could use a little structure so i have some ideas for things to do scrolling through the huzzah channel today we were, we all had the same thought like it would be fun to pick out a couple of these and show people just like this is back when spencer and ben were really excited about a hundred dollars like or like you know one new customer <laughs> or you know hitting 50 calls it just might be kind of a fun to sort of show like this is 2019 it's not that long ago yeah yeah it's nostalgic but it's only a couple years back a couple years back yeah but that's crazy i think it's gonna be fun i'm i'm totally an extrovert like i'm i'm spencer says i'm a dog like he's a cat and i'm a dog and like i super am. like i'm just excited to have everybody in the house like it's i think it's gonna be delightful how do you get everybody excited to come? Because like there have been times in the past, and maybe I'm just not that much of a team person, but I remember having like an internship in San Francisco when I was like, uh, God, I must have been like 21, 20 years old or something. And the team was always doing stuff like, yeah, we're going to the ball game, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I am out of here. <laughs> I'm going home <laughs> to do my own thing. Uh, and maybe it's because I was like so much younger than everybody. But I, I think it's it's difficult to get everybody like excited to see each other, especially with a remote company. I bet. Like, I mean, it's like people don't necessarily have like that close of friendships and relationships in like a remote company. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not sure that we've uh, accomplished that. I'm not sure if everyone actually is excited. I think, I think we've, they've all agreed. Everyone. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) agreed. Like we'll see what the vibe is like when they get here. I think culturally we sort of hired for people that are interested in like social interaction. I would describe the team as, as warm. 
And so like we've we've hired people that have some of that that warmth, like they 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 like interactions, they value other people, they they take some joy from that. And so I think we've kind of built a group that is fairly wired for that. But we'll see. I don't know. Cool. Best of luck. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, totally. Anything else you want to cover, either of you? Uh, I don't know. We should do this more often. I, I agree. Derek and I did a little planning episode for 2022, and, and we said one of the things we wanted to do is, is have people we like on, on maybe like a, a semi-regular cadence, like check in with Cortland every couple months and see like, what's going on? You, you hitting those targets? You, you still happy with this thing? Yeah, yeah. I want to do the exact same on Indie Hackers. I want to kind of mix and match and like bring on like, okay, like pair you with like Peter Levels and just like a random discussion, you know, and like get, get Derek on with like Rob, you know, or like, I don't know, just like, I don't know, just like mix and match and see what happens, but also have like a recurring cast so that like listeners can sort of get used to hearing people's voices. Because I think that familiarity is like worth a lot, you know, like your listeners on your show know you guys inside and out. They kind of have to because you're on every episode. And I think like that's, that's worth something. I think a, a nice thing, having you here was nice today because like you were asking us questions. So there's like a new angle on things like maybe we don't think to talk about, which I think is, is valuable. Like it's nice to have someone come on that is also like a podcast host themselves and like can like kind of <laughs> run true. the conversation the for hack. a minute. Podcast hosts are the best guests. <laughs> Comfortable on the mic. They ask questions. They know the whole drill. It's like super easy. Yep. Yep. That's good. Yeah. Well, so I, I struggle with the interview, the interview format in general in a lot of other podcasts. Like we, we talked about that. We don't want to necessarily just turn into like a partial interview show because I think people are, people come here to hear they, they're following our stories and then they, I think they like to hear from like people who are show regulars, you know, like someone that they also know, like there's not really a risk that I'm not going to enjoy this episode because I've heard this person before and like, it's, I think it's going to be good, you know? So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so down on the interview format, even though I have an interview show, like it's just so much more fun to have conversations, et cetera. And just like to sort of make statements at each other and finish each other's sentences and interrupt, et cetera. It's just more, I don't know. It feels more natural. It's more fun to listen to. It's more fun to do. But it's hard to do with somebody you don't know, you know, like I almost every episode of my show, it's like somebody I've, I've never met before, you know, and so it's like going to be a lot of questions. And to be honest, it's like a, if I go on dates now, I'm just like an interviewer. They're just like Jesus, like sweating across the table for me. And it's like question after question after question. So I think the, uh, the discussion format is more, it's warmer to use Ben's word. Agreed. Well, t- to future discussions. To future discussions. It's been my pleasure to be on the show, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Glad you came. Notes of the show, please. Notes for the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.